We're starting this morning in John 15. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd ask you to open them up because we're going to be talking about a continuation of something that we started a couple of weeks ago, talking about this discipleship path where Jesus calls his disciples. He invites them to join him, and we call those on-ramps. And we look to invite people to come and see what God is doing. And so we invite people to church. And we don't just say, just come and see. We say, explore, discover what God is doing. Discover what God's plan is for your life. And as you do that, we believe we should say, hey, you should commit to following him. You should give your life to him because he's given his life for you. And so we ask people to commit. But the next step isn't that we just stay there either. We say, you know, the best way to do that, the best way to discover and to understand how you grow to be more like Jesus is in small group. We say you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. And that's not anything new. Small group ministry is something that was invented in the 80s. It was something that Jesus implemented in the first century with his disciples. And we'll see that this morning in this text. Small group ministries are the way that we grow because you think of anything significant in your life that's gone on that maybe you've changed it's most always been with someone else by your side. Someone else encouraging you and helping you and showing you a way to do something. And that's what small group ministry is about. You know, last week when Pastor Dan was here talking about discovering and committing, and he said, you know, he talked about the fish, you know, you, the fish emblem that you see people on people's cars. He said, you don't see fish on people's cars as much as you used to. And when he was saying that, it sort of like convicted me because it reminded me of one of my very first small group experiences. I was in a small group, and we were talking about having a fish emblem on the back of your car. And I said in the group, I said, well, you know, the reason I don't put a fish emblem on my car is because of the way that I drive. And I don't want people thinking bad about Christians because of my driving. And a guy in the group out of left field looks at me and says, well, maybe that's why you need a fish on your car, Tony. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like... Maybe it's not them that need to know you're a Christian, but maybe you need to be reminded you're a Christian and you shouldn't be driving like a maniac. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot, Chuck. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to be vulnerable and just be truthful, and then you're just like challenging me, just boom, like that, right? Anyway, um, I wasn't expecting it, but I needed to hear it. I needed to hear something that... I wasn't prepared to hear, but yet God wanted me to hear. And it took a voice in my small group to tell me that. And it wasn't the only time. It's not the only thing that God has changed in me. I'd love to say that that was it and everything's great now. But he's continually, continually, continually molded and shaped me through the influence and help of others. And that's his plan for all of us, that we would be shaped, that we would continue to be in small group, and we'll see that today in the text. And so as we look back at this path, we'll see that we, there's still steps to go. And today we're going to look at small groups, and you can still see there's three boxes. And I believe there are boxes after that. I think that what you see Jesus' words to his disciples is that he loves them just the way they are. He loves you just the way, they are, way you are. But he loves you way too much just to leave you there. He sees much more ahead of you. He has much more planned for you. There is greater things, as he said, that you will see as you live in him and trust in him. And so that's what we want to do. So this morning, we're going to look at God's word. And to do that, I'd like to do something a little bit different this morning. I'd like to put on my small group leader hat as we go through this text. 
Now, I'm not, we don't literally have hats for small group leaders. That would be weird. But it's like, figuratively, I want to put on a small group leader hat and kind of take you through God's word this morning as we would take you through this text. We do that in our follow series. And to do that, we use this biblical equipping model. There are two parts to it. There's a time together with your group, and there's a time away, apart from your group. And there's things that we do in both phases. It's not just about getting together and then you get together next week. No, there's things that we do. There's ways that we help one another, and we do that together and apart. So I want to take you through these sections. I've done the share already. I've already shared with you a small group experience and Chuck the Weisenheimer. And now I'd like to take you so you can hear God's word. And to hear God's word, as I said, we're going to be in John chapter 15, fourth gospel, chapter 15. And to give you some context so that we understand the words that we hear, a good small group leader would do a little bit of study and would kind of prepare for that night so they could give you the context. Because what we want you to understand, what God wants you to understand, is what did these first hearers hear? What did they experience? What did Jesus' disciples experience that night? How best can we understand what they felt, what they heard? What did Jesus himself want them to understand? And to do that, we need to kind of understand the context. And the good Bible study tool is that you don't just read the verses, you read all around the verses. If this was a scene that happened one night, you say, well, when did that begin? And so you go back before that and you look and you find out here that it goes back several chapters that this setting happened several chapters ago, and then it goes for several more. So this is in the midst of one evening that this takes place. And it's recorded, as John says, and we have put these chapter markers in it over the series of several chapters. That night is about a week later, maybe a lot of week, but during the week after Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, where he comes in and everybody's screaming, Hosanna, 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 believing the Messiah has come. He's a rock star, and the disciples are with him, and they're rock stars because they're with the rock star. But then Jesus starts talking weird stuff, like he's going to die, and he's going he's to give himself over to be killed. And they know that it's dangerous because the leaders there, they don't like Jesus, and they want to kill him. And they were trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem, but he had his heart set on Jerusalem. And now he's saying, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, he's telling them this. And so he brings them in to celebrate the Passover. And that night he brings them into this room and he washes their feet. And they're like, like especially if you don't like your feet touched, there had to be a couple of them. It's like, what are you doing? And he's washing their feet. And he says, well, if I don't wash you, you can't be clean. And Peter's like, well, then wash all of me. You know, which is Peter. He's like, yeah, everything. <laughs> and that same night, he says, one of you will betray me. And they're kind of like, who's he talking about? They don't know. And then he says to Peter, he says, well, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're wrong. I'm not. He's, yeah, you will. Later that night, he does. And then he starts telling them, I have to leave. He knows they're worried. He knows they're concerned. And he says, don't worry. I'm going to go to my father's house. But I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. Because in my father's house, there are many rooms. You know, it's this betrothal language if you study it. And he says, and they would have understood that. And he's trying to comfort them. But yet, in their minds, they've got to be thinking, what's going on? It's then that he says these words to him, to them in, in John chapter 15. 
And then after he says these words, he tells them, as a result of all this, here's what's going to happen to you because you're my disciples. And he tells them that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit, that it's good for them that he goes away because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind them of everything that he's taught and some things that he hasn't taught. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit and that he will always be with them. And then he goes and he prays for them. But he doesn't just pray for them. He prays for those who will believe in their testimony. And then they head out and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where they discover that it's Judas that's betrayed him. And the guards take him and they take him to Pilate and they crucify him the very next day. That's what we know. And we know more than that. But here are the disciples in the middle of that night where it has to be confusing. And here's what Jesus says to them. And before we get there, I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we uh, prepare to hear God's word. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you. We, we love you for the way that you are patient with us, the way that you, you have concern for us, that you look out for us, that you would preserve this word for us. Father, I pray that as we hear your word spoken this morning, that you would be our teacher. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would do nothing to obscure your glory that is revealed in these words. Father, we ask you to teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it. It is he that bears much fruit. For apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. 
This is God's word. So as we delve into God's word, as we would look at this word, we would explore what it means. We've looked at the context, and there's a message here. And so as you start to read the message, as you heard the message read, what do you think the disciples are feeling and thinking that night as Jesus is saying these words? That wasn't a rhetorical question. This is where you carry the weight in a small group meeting where you actually speak and and answer a question. So I, I would ask you, what do you think Jesus is thinking, or these disciples are thinking or feeling this night? Anybody? Sorry? Confusion. Fear? Yeah, don't you think? I mean, they don't know the rest of the story yet, right? They don't know what's happening. And so they're confused. They're afraid, right? They're, they're, this, they're, their rabbi, the rock star, is, is leaving. And he's saying he's going to die. And there's like, no, 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 no. The Messiah isn't supposed to die. He's supposed to conquer. And so he's talking in ways that certainly would confuse them and cause them to be afraid. Anybody else? Sorry? Burdened? Burdened? Take on the role, right? Yeah. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, right? Yeah. They have to be feeling all kinds of emotions. I mean, think about yourself. You're there. This man you follow for three years. You've seen raised people from the dead the week before Lazarus came out of the tomb. You see, and you're professing him to be the Messiah. And now everything turns upside down that night. And he's talking crazy. You've got to be a little bit confused. You gotta be afraid. You gotta wonder what's going on. But what is Jesus teaching his disciples? What does he teach him about the life of a disciple? What do we learn? What does a disciple look like? What are things that disciples do? What's Jesus saying about that? They abide in Jesus. That word there is a word we don't really use a whole lot, right? We don't say, you know, come abide with me at Starbucks this afternoon. We don't use that word because it's just a strange word. It's just fallen out of. But we understand maybe what abide means. Other translations say remain, right? And this thought of remaining, abiding, isn't something that is like for an hour. You know, come abide with me for an hour. Jesus' thought here is that you would abide, that you would remain in him always, constantly. And he uses this analogy of a vine and the branch. He speaks of their relationship in that way. And they would have understood that because this was an agrarian society and they would have understood this type of thinking and this type of speaking where we may not understand it. But this vine dresser, as he calls his father, would tend the vine so that the vine produces grapes. And they would do that by pruning the vine. And those branches that were fruitful, they would prune so that they would produce more grapes. And they would take and they would nurture the vine. And you think about it, right? We know this enough like this, that if you cut off a branch, there's not much hope of that branch living, right? You prune your trees, you cut branches off your trees and plants to what? To throw them away so that 
your plant is more healthy, that your vine produces more fruit. And so you do that because you don't want these dead branches or these other branches taking up the nourishment that the, the good branches are receiving. So we're called, his disciples are called, we are called as disciples to remain in him because it's only in him that there's life. The branch only has life as long as it's attached to the vine. It doesn't like attach and detach and attach and detach and I'll come on Sundays and I'll come back next Sunday and I'll detach and there's none of that. It's a full all life experience and it's there that you experience life. What else do they say about disciples? What else does he say? They serve. I'm sorry? They serve. Who do they serve? One another. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And when he tells them to love one another as he has loved them, he's telling his disciples, you should care for one another as I have cared for you. It's not just an affection. It's not just something to say, yeah, I just like hanging with you. No, I really care about you. I care enough about you to be involved in your life, for you to be involved in my life, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can help one another. We abide with one another, not just with him, but with one another. We serve the interests of others. Anything else that you see? Another word that shows up is that a, a really, a truly a four-letter word. It's obey. Right, it's a word we don't like to hear, but it's a word that, thankfully, that his disciples were obedient and did what Jesus said and didn't just take them as suggestions. Right? We are blessed because they obeyed. So they understood when he said, obey my commands. And he calls them friends, right? They know his business. He's revealed their, his mission to them. Disciples know what the teacher wants, what's the, what the rabbi wants. What else? Anything else? I think he tells us that we would rec- they would be recognizable, right? You'd be my disciples because you do what I told you to do. You would see, as we learned several weeks ago, that a disciple follows the rabbi around everywhere, not just so they learn what the, dis- the rabbi knows, but that they would be just like the rabbi. So if you saw a disciple of a specific rabbi, you would know by their actions how they lived, who their rabbi was. You watching the World Series? There's a couple of like hitting coach, hitting, major hitting coaches throughout history in baseball. One of them is Charlie Lau. I don't know if you know the name Charlie Lau, but he teaches a school of hitting where you swing the bat and as you swing, as you follow through, you let go with one hand and it's just a one hand finish. If you ever see a hitter do that, you know he's following a Charlie Lau. That's his, that's his rabbi when it comes to hitting. And Jesus says, you as my rabbi should be known by how you love one another, by how you remain in me, how you abide in me, that you are constantly with me because I'm constantly with you. That's what he says. Another question. So how does Jesus demonstrate his love in all this for his disciples? You know they're afraid, they're fearful. How does he demonstrate his love and concern for them this night. 
Let me give you some, a, a little bit more context. Remember, they don't know the rest of the story. Jesus tells them after this that they're going to be persecuted, that things are going to get harder. They're not going to get easier. That if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're going to send you out of the synagogue. And he knows most of them are going to be martyred for their faith, that things are going to get harder. In fact, we read in Acts 4 that Peter and John were one day and they healed a man on the steps and they were called before the Sanhedrin and asked, whose authority are you doing this and why are you doing this? And that wasn't just a call before the principal. No, this was something that they could be put in jail, they could be flogged for. And they boldly spoke up and said, it's the name of Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified. Where did they get that boldness? Where did they get that? Because they were together, right? They remained together. There were other believers because we're told that they didn't know what to do and so they sent them on their way and when they went back to their to their church, to their group of people, to the other disciples, what did they, they told them what happened and what happened. They all worshiped God, and they were all emboldened to follow Peter and John's example. But Peter and John are emboldened because they've got all these people. And so Jesus loves his disciples that night because he knows what lays before them. He knows what their life's going to be like. He knows it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. And so he tells them, how you get through it. How, maybe it's not easier, but it's bearable. How you can get through those dry times. How you're going to suffer, but you're going to get through it. And through your suffering, through the way that you suffer, people are going to come to a knowledge and understanding of the love of God. So he loves them because he knows exactly what it means to be human and what they face. And so he tells them exactly how to live, connected to him constantly in his body, in the church, so that we can endure. Not just endure, but produce fruit. And it's not just a little fruit, because the, the contrast isn't nothing and a little, it's nothing and much. And if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. What do you think he means by fruit, by the way? Sorry? Followers? Yep. Anything else? Joy? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, brotherly love. Those things, scholars kind of argue over that, but I think the really good path that some scholars will tell you, I think it means both. It's good works and other believers because we see Jesus talk about it in both contexts. So it's not just producing grapes, right? It's producing other believers, other believers coming to abide in Jesus, as, they, as he says, but also you abiding. And in that abiding, good works are produced through you by abiding in Jesus, something that he does. It's not something we do to earn his favor, it's something that we do because we're connected to the vine, because it's something that he does through us, just like the vine produces fruit through the branch. So how do you apply this to your life? How would we ask you to apply this to your life that night? What is God calling you to be in your relationships with him and with others? Now, this I'm not going to ask you to say out loud. We would break up into smaller groups where you could be a little bit more forthright with one another, but maybe you think about that this morning. 
let the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're just saying, well, I, maybe I should check this out. Maybe I should ask some more questions. Maybe I need to understand what this whole abiding thing is. What's he challenging you with this morning about your relationship with him? Is it maybe that you need to begin to abide in his word daily? Not just every so often and Maybe you need to consider getting in a small group or coming to worship more often. What is he saying to you this morning? Or how about this question? How do you need to grow and change in order to live as a more effective disciple of Jesus? Remember, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. Change is possible in the vine. Change is possible in the vine. What's he calling you to? What's the next step? He's asking you to evaluate your life, evaluate where you are right now, and the Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder, and you know whatever that is, that maybe the Spirit's tapped you on the shoulder numerous times, and you keep... It's harder to get away from that in a group. I understand that. But it's possible in a group. It's possible as you abide in the vine. How can we grow to be more like him, to be effective, not just know more about him, but be effective in producing fruit, inviting people to come and see, to make disciples as Jesus made disciples, requires us to be abiding in the vine constantly. And how can a group help you and support you in making those changes? Because a group can help you and support you making those changes. We want to encourage you. We want you to experience, as Jesus said, what did he want for you, for his disciples? That they would have the joy that he had in obeying the Father. He said it earlier in John. He says, the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. And he says later, and he says here, that he wants his disciples to have that same joy. Not just a little, but full. We read that there's an abundant life that Jesus teaches, and he wants you to have. That's what he wants for his disciples. And to have that life, abiding in him, is paramount. To have that joy, and not just abiding, but actually obeying his words. And not ignoring them, not taking them as suggestions, but to obey. And it's only in obedience that you experience joy. You can be told about joy, you can see joy, but you never experience it until you actually do something. Part of something. It's hard to have the joy that you'll see in the end of the World Series that they have because you're not really a part of it. That's what God wants for you is the joy that Jesus had in doing the will of the Father. It's not a big burden, although we would be told it is. Jesus says it's a joy to do that. That's how we endure. That's how we live as children in the vine. So now, how would you make a plan? What would you do? What would you do to plan to apply what it is you believe God's calling you 
to do. How would you do that in your daily life? Not just know, right? But what am I going to do after I've been told this, after God has revealed this to me, after he's tapped me on the shoulder? What am I going to do? You know, there's a professor, his name is Mark Allen Powell. He's a professor of theology at a university over in Ohio and at a theological seminary. And he says he asks this question wherever he goes. He says, when's the last time you read God's word and made a change in your life as a result? Actually did something. And he said, sadly, most people say, I don't know. And he says, even sadder yet, most of the people he asks that of are pastors. You know, a lot of times we're so in-depth in the Word and learning more and learning more and learning more that we never do. We never make a plan to actually do what God's Word tells us to do. What plan do you have for applying God's Word into your life this morning? Is it more abiding in his word? Is it in his body? Is it time in prayer? Is it asking for assistance from people within the body? What is the plan that God's put on your heart this morning? And then, as we leave here this morning, and you may have a plan, how do you actually do it? Because that's the next step, is actually doing it. I bought the diet book. I haven't done it, but I bought it. You know, I bought the Chantix, haven't put it on, but I bought it. Actually putting it on, actually following it, is the obedience part that Jesus speaks about. That's where you'll know. That's where uncertainty about whether or not you abide in the vine, the fruit, the abiding part, is what Jesus is trying to encourage them with. That's how you know. You spend time with me, you spend time in the body, you know that's exactly, that is what a branch does. That is what a disciple does. That's how you know. And you also know because I've told you that's who you are. Not because of what you've done, but because I've made you clean. Because of the word I spoke to you, I'm the one that declared you righteous. That's what God's word tells us. And so as we obey him and we abide in him, he reminds us every day the grace that we live in that we don't have to earn it, we don't have to judge one another, we don't have to point our finger at one another. We know that we live in the grace of God and it's by the grace of God that I live that way. And so we obey. We obey. But there's also this next step that we encourage and that's meditate. Take a piece of this scripture this morning that I read to you and maybe it's a different one for everybody but maybe some of you have the same one. Meditate on that word this week. Meditate on his word. Write it on a piece of paper. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your nightstand. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Wherever you go, think about that word. Meditate. Ruminate on that word. And then see if that doesn't change your day. And maybe you see things differently. And at the end of that day, reflect back on how that went. How did your day go differently than it did the day before because you spent the day meditating on God's word, abiding in him? And maybe you reflect on that day and you go, wow, it's been three days since I thought about this. And it's about that time maybe you get an email or a phone call or a text from one of your leaders and say, hey, how's it going? And you could say, oh, it's going great. 
Or you can say, yeah, I haven't been doing it. And they say, that's okay. You start again today. We want to encourage one another. We don't want to shame you into anything. Jesus didn't do that. We follow his example. And then when we get back together, we share what happened that week. And I can guarantee you that if you adhere to Jesus' plan, it's not going to be very long until you say, so how did it go? You're going to be like, oh, I can't wait to tell you what happened at work this week. If you're actually obeying his words and abiding in him, nobody's going to really have to pull it out of you. You're going to be exploding to tell someone what happened. And your group wants to hear it because we want to be encouraged. And you obeying encourages me. And me obeying encourages you. And guess what? We do just like Paul and Pete, or John and Peter. We, we get more bold. And we're not alone. And maybe I will invite, you know, she invited this week and somebody actually came. I'm, maybe I'm going to invite somebody. And you do something that you never thought you'd do, and you find yourself going, who is this guy that I see in the mirror? And that's what God does in the lives of people that abide in him. He changes them. He changes not what they do, but what they want to do as we abide in him. Jesus said this. He said, I share with you everything the Father showed me. I no longer call you, I call you friend, because that's what you are. And that word friend there means not just like all your 700 friends on Facebook, but no, somebody that knows you, somebody that cares about you, somebody that really knows your business. That's what he says of us, that we know his business. We know, and he, he's, he's opened everything up about himself. And that's why he came, was to tell everybody what there is to know about the Father, that all these misconceptions about God, Jesus came to clear it all up. And say, let me tell you, you got it all wrong. Because the Messiah isn't going to come as a warrior. Actually, he came as a child. And he didn't come to conquer. He came to give his life. And to conquer the true enemy. That's what God did. And Jesus wants you, as disciples of his, to share that good news with the world. But to do that, as Jesus did, we need to abide in him. In his word, in his body together in community, in relationship, where it gets messy and ugly and dirty. You know, because I know all groups aren't the same. Let me be honest with you. Not all groups are, are like, woo. I mean, there's some groups that are like, woo, like this, right? And people say, well, I tried group once, and ah, it wasn't for me. Let me ask you, did you ever say that about pizza? I had a pizza once. It wasn't very good. I'm never having pizza again. Maybe it was just a bad pizza. Maybe it was just a bad group. That doesn't mean pizza's bad. Maybe the one you had wasn't all it could be. But Jesus' model for group is everything it should be. And so we teach small groups. We teach the importance, as Jesus taught, the importance of small groups. And we're going to give everyone an opportunity to get into a small group again in January. When we do this series called Explore God, where we're going to invite people from the community and other people to join us in small groups as we explore God and answer some big questions. And you know, we're not doing that alone. We're doing it with over 500 churches throughout the Chicagoland area. They're all going to be doing the same series at the same time, where we can all together say, hey, come and see and discover what God has planned for you. And we're going to do that in small group. 
It's a great way to learn about Jesus. It's a great way to learn about these people that are called Christians. And we don't do it perfectly, but we follow a perfect God. And he keeps trying to change us. And so that's why we're in group. Because he knows he wants us to make us more like him. And so we preach small groups. And we'll preach small groups until we die. Because that's what Jesus did. Amen. Would you pray with me?